Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, an epic yet intimate portrayal of one of the world's formerly most powerful and least understood leaders. I just was really struck by the question of what it was like for a young woman who'd been raised to believe this man a god to suddenly become a part of his inner circle. Plus, a new anthology of poetry aims to bring attention to Ukraine and raise money for humanitarian groups working to benefit the region. That brought me to tears at times uh, when I was putting the book together, where people care enough to want to have their say and want to make some kind of difference. But first, Poetry Out Loud is a national poetry recitation contest for students across the country. And a Coco Nino High School senior is a finalist after advancing earlier this month. Oscar Manuel Landa Samano is one of nine students who will compete via stream on Sunday, June 5th. By any description, Samano is an overachiever, and we got to know each other a bit during a recent conversation. I was born and raised in Flagstaff, Arizona. Some of my personal interests are robotics, uh, river running, uh, like whitewater rafting, and poetry, which is one of my interests that a lot of people don't don't usually find out until uh, I do competitions like this. Yeah, that's outstanding uh, to hear about this contest and just how well you placed. Poetry Out Loud is a national recitation poetry contest, and Arizona has actually done pretty well in years past, including this year. And so how many people did you compete against here in the state and regionally before you got to the nationals? Well, in the state, uh, there's multiple rounds, you could say. So there is the the school-wide competition, which I competed against around uh, 20, 25 students at my school. It's actually uh, very competitive at Coconino High School. Um, and from there, I went to the regionals, which had around eight students. And then the regional was Northern Arizona. And from the Northern Arizona regional, I went to state, which I believe had, again, like eight students uh, who, who participated in the, in the state level. Um, and I was named the Arizona state champion in March. And so recently you competed at the semifinals. In normal years, it would have been in Washington. But because of COVID for the past two years, the uh, National Endowment for the Arts, that's the organization that runs it, has not been able to send students. And, uh, and, I, and I respect their decision just with COVID and, and, and mitigation. So in, in normal years, I would have competed in Washington, D.C., but everything was recorded virtually. And for the semifinals, what they did is Poetry Out Loud partnered with Five O'Clock Films and they sent a film kit so that I could record my poems. Then it was broadcasted live on May 1st. Well, congratulations for making it so far. And we certainly would love you to take it all. But I mean, it's an honor to, first of all, just be included in the contest, I think. Tell me when you sort of developed a love of poetry and when you knew that this was a contest you wanted to enter. Well, my love for poetry really started in, in like seventh, eighth grade uh, with my English teachers at Mount Alden Middle School. But really, I, I didn't get into the competition uh, until my sophomore year 
where my honors English teacher really encouraged me to take the risk and, and do the competition um, because he's been a judge before and he said I had a really good shot. So I, I took that and um, I made it to the state level. Um, I was named a runner up that year. And uh, really, I think I took my senior year as a as an opportunity for me to show that I can go to the national level. Spoken word is something that, you know, has been extremely popular for decades now, but it didn't always used to be that way. You're reading poems that have been written by authors. And as I understand, essentially, they provide a suggested list and then it's up to you to determine what you want to memorize and read. Yeah, that's correct. So on the Poetry Out Loud website, they have an anthology of around, I don't know, 1,500 plus poems where with like different varieties. It's not just like free verse, but there's also rhyming and sonnets and whatnot. And really the students get the, the option of choosing what poems they'd like to do. However, once they do go to the uh, state competition, they have to choose a poem um, one that is fewer than 25 lines, and then another one that is written in the 19th century. And which poems did you choose and why? So for my first two poems, I chose Spanglish by Tato Laviera. And uh, the contract says we'd like the conversation to be bilingual by Ada Limon, because I really connected to what they were saying and what they wrote in those poems because the first one is uh, is a celebration of being a person from the latinx community and being hispanic and um and it's not and it shows the why the diversity um that the hispanic community is it's not just mexican it's not just people from south of the united states it's also from cuba it's it's people from puerto rico and being hispanic it was a way for me to celebrate my culture celebrate my people and and just take that all in. And the, the second poem by Ada Limon was social commentary on almost this idea of like tokenizing minority populations. Um, and, and being in a situation where that's happened to me, I said, this really speaks to me and I can take this and really make it my own. And then my third poem, uh, that's when it got a little bit more difficult because the first two poems, they were written in the 21st century. Uh, so I needed to find one from the 19th century. And um, one of my troubles with picking a, a 19th century poem was that I didn't really relate to a lot of what the what the poets from then said. Um, it was a lot of uh, uh, dead white people. Um, and I didn't know how to connect in, until... I chose my third poem, which was God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. That's um, a fantastic really just, poem. Yeah. It is a beautiful poem. It's this idea that there's so much work, there's so much, uh, really, and he says it, there's so much toil in the world, but there is still beauty in nature. There's still a grandiosity in just everything. So I really fell in love with it. And I think that's such a beautiful sentiment and something, you know, to remind ourselves uh, amidst this pandemic, which I continue to remind people we are not out of yet. Yeah. The finals are coming up on Sunday, June 5th. 
Oscar, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about Poetry Out Loud. Good luck. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You can find out more about Poetry Out Loud and watch a previous performance of Oscar Manuel Landa Samano on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, an epic yet intimate portrayal of one of the world's formerly most powerful and least understood leaders. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Did you know two out of every three NPR listeners prefer to purchase products and services from public radio sponsors? You can see the benefits of becoming a KJZZ corporate sponsor at sponsor.kjzz.org. Weekly Arizona news conversations are now available in KJZZ podcasts. If the, if the narrative of the election is about denying the validity of the last election, that candidate loses. Everything that they have been talking about is, like I said, it's completely unserious. It's like this circus sideshow. Listen to a variety of informed perspectives on KJZZ's Friday Newscap podcast. Get it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Our next guest is a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle and also a novelist who has been writing about Asia and the diaspora for more than two decades. Vanessa Hua just released her second book, Forbidden City, and I wanted to know her inspiration for the novel. About a decade and a half ago, I was watching a documentary and up pops this black and white photo of Chairman Mao surrounded by giggling teenage girls. And they were wearing plaid and they almost seemed like bobby soxers. And I was completely astonished. And it turns out that Chairman Mao was a fan of ballroom dancing. He was taught by an American journalist named Agnes Medley back in the late 1930s. Um, she was went to the rebel stronghold and taught them all foxtrot and square dancing. In the decades that followed, Mao had special dance troops of young women who would partner with him um, and other top cotter um, in, in dancing. And some of them stayed on as his companions. They had titles like confidential clerk or nurse, and they would uh, handle his correspondence. They would translate his speech when it became garbled. And I just was really struck by the question of what it was like for a young woman who'd been raised to believe this man a god to suddenly become a part of his inner circle. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And how long did it take you to research all of that material? So I began writing the book in 2007 and finished the final edits uh, last year. And even now, I don't think I can stop researching. I'm, <laughs> I was recently reading a fascinating book about the posthumous Mao cult, how people continue to uh, worship him and turn to him for guidance. Uh, Still today, huh? The 90- yeah, yeah wow. today and, and in the late 80s. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, I never would have thought of that. Uh, obviously, people have reverence for historical figures, but um, gosh, I would not have expected that. Tell me about the differences, you know, because as a journalist myself, I, I find it really hard sometimes to switch parts of my brain when I write creatively. How difficult was that for you? I feel so fortunate to be able to work in both genres. And I think I'm able to do so because I'm guided by my curiosity. I'm guided by this desire to shine a light onto untold stories um, that might inspire a change in thinking and a change in action. So my identity feels unified in that way. Um, That said, I think each genre helps the other with my fiction. My journalism experience has helped me with research, with writing daily and on deadline and being open to, uh, to being edited. 
Whereas with journalism, I think I'm much more likely to consider narrative arc and character and setting in ways that I did not when I was first starting out, when my news stories looked like court transcripts, just a series of quotes that ended. (laughs) Tell me about the title Forbidden City, and then let's get into the characterization, which uh, centers on May, right? Yes, yes. Forbidden City is actually, I think, the fourth title out of uh, out of the long journey in which it take to, took to publish and write this book. Um, it was New Skies, then Without Heaven, then Third Daughter. And it was about uh, maybe a, a, a two or three years ago that my editor suggested Forbidden City. And I mulled on it and then realized how fitting it was because while the Forbidden City that is, you know, the former home of the emperor that became a museum in 1925 that millions of people have visited over the years. Not much is known about Zhongnanhai, which I call Lake Palaces, um, next door to the Forbidden City. It was the former garden complexes of the emperor and now home uh, to the, the, the top offices of, of, the, of the country and where Mao lived, surrounded by high red walls. And so that is the true Forbidden City. And also it's a metaphor for the chairman himself. Uh, my character, May, uh, is circling and circling him, trying to find a way, trying to understand how to get to him. What do you hope some of the takeaways that uh, readers will have from reading this? May is emblematic of the millions of impoverished young women who don't even merit a footnote in the history books, and yet in their own way could have shaped the course of history. Yeah, how so? I think, especially since, um, as I mentioned, Mao had these young women um, who were behind closed doors with him and who know what kind of conversations or suggestions were made or some offhand comment um, on the part of, of a confidential clerk might well have influenced him to act one way or another. And while there's many books published you know, about the meetings, about the leaders, the great men, um, it's, I, I think that's just history itself often does leave out um, a race with stories of, of women who, who are there, who are important and who have a vital role, but are just not uh, in the official record. And why did you want to write a novelization of this story as opposed to just, you know, street history, for instance? Well, I really believe that uh, fiction can flourish where the official record ends. And what I found about uh, these these dancers, there wasn't much. Um, and often it was dismissive. I think the chairman's physician, he wrote a memoir and said, oh, for these young women, it was the most exhilarating, ex- exciting experience of their lives. And I knew it had to be more complicated than that, right? right? Well, I want to thank you so much, Vanessa, for coming to Word and talking to us about your second novel. It's called Forbidden City, and it's out now. Vanessa, take care, and thanks again. Thanks so much for having me on. You can find out a bit more about Vanessa Waugh and Forbidden City on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, a new anthology of poetry aims to bring attention to Ukraine and raise money for humanitarian groups working to benefit the region. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region.
Get ahead from the comfort of your home. Rio Salado College offers career-ready online classes and degree programs. Learn in-demand skills on your schedule from a school with over 40 years of experience. More information at riosalado.edu. Whether you spend rush hour in the car or in the kitchen, All Things Considered from KJZZ and NPR is there. Get up to date while you're getting home or getting dinner started. Listen to KJZZ between 3 and 6 on 91.5 or the mobile app. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Our final guest is a longtime Fountain Hills resident. Rod Drought and fellow poet Margaret Goodkoff founded the Facebook page Port of Call Poetry, which supports poets from around the globe. Goodkoff is originally from Ukraine, and together they recently co-edited a poetry anthology entitled Ukraine, the Night, and the Fire. Although they compiled the collection to help raise funds for humanitarian organizations working to benefit the region, Drought says the seeds for an anthology were actually planted a few years ago. On Facebook, you can find many uh, Facebook poetry pages. And Margaret Goodkoff and I, we decided a few years back to start our own page. And we invited some people we admired that were, you know, incredible poets. And the thing I liked about it the most was that it, the beauty of Facebook is that it's, you know, covers almost every corner of the planet. So we had people from various parts of the globe on our site and as a way for poets to connect to, share their work, get a little bit gentle criticism, and hopefully more pats on the back to encourage us. And when we started this, I always had the idea of, it, wouldn't it be great to get an anthology and just utilize all these people, all these different voices and experiences from different parts of the world? And I could never really come up with a vehicle that I thought would get people excited. And then Ukraine war hit. And um, I was going to write a poem about Ukraine because when one of the reasons you write is to get some stuff out of your head. And, right. and, um, and I was thinking like, oh, it's just a little poem and what good is this going to do? And, and I just kind of put it aside. And then the next morning I woke up and looked at our port of call poetry page and, six poets in a row wrote poems about Ukraine. And then I said like, okay, now we've got something. And so I posted it there. Let's put an anthology together. And we had some people that jumped right in and that's how it really started to grow. It's an amazing story of something that's gone viral that actually benefits people. You know, when we use that phrase, a lot of times it's in the pejorative, right? It's in the negative. And the purpose was, I think, not just to raise money, but to raise an understanding of how a collection of people can come together for a humanitarian yeah. cause, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the most gratifying thing, it, it brought me to tears at times so when I was putting the book together, how many people from all walks of life and places and just feel passionate about this and it's a very humbling to, to deal with this where people care enough to want to have their say and want to make some kind of difference well and it came together so quickly that's what amazes me did you spend days on end <laughs> uh, along with margaret like 
pounding coffee or <laughs> whatever to get this edited? Yeah, it's, uh, Margaret lives in Brooklyn, New York. And yeah, here I am in the Fountain Hills. I was kind of doing the bulk of it and running things by Margaret. and, and But she was doing a lot of recruiting. She brought in some, some incredible poets to help uh, contribute. It was one of these things where you, you start working on it and the scope of it and the importance of it just drives you anyway. So it didn't feel like it was a, a labor. It was a labor of love, really. Yeah, and it's just amazing how quickly the turnaround happened. What was your methodology for choosing who you would include? I know you kind of gave us sort of a primer about how you got interest built, but how did you decide who's going to make the final cut? Was it dependent upon the length of poems? To backtrack a little, our, our port of call poetry page was kind of this all-inclusive page. We had very few uh, editorial advice. Margaret and I were in, in a couple of other pages, and we didn't like, why are they making rules, and why are they doing this? And, I, you know, it should be, we're not getting paid for this. So <laughs> why don't we just make it a free expression, you know? And and that's kind of how I went about the book. I was, I was more concerned about the, the passion and the voices. The book is available via Amazon for a really low rate, and people can find out more information about the cost on Amazon's website by just searching for the title. How much of the proceeds are you donating from sales, and which groups will benefit from those donations? I suggested that people buy this book and consider it type of a gift and go and choose what organizations to help Ukraine that you feel comfortable with. And in the book, I had three suggestions, but really encourage people to go ahead and do their own searching. I had the World Health Organization, the Ukraine Red Cross, and World Central Kitchen. But I mean, if you go online, there's tons of them. The small royalties that I will get from this, I'll just donate to one of those. It's not a great grand gesture because <laughs> if you're a poet and you self-publish, you don't sell a lot of books and you're not rich or anything, but it would help a little bit. Well, Rod, I wondered if you would take us out with a poem of your own that's included in the anthology. Sure. This one is in the peace section. The book is divided into two sections, Peace and War. It's uh, titled 1,000 Goodbyes. You never hear them. The moments pass silently, each dropping unknowingly, like a flower's petals that lost the bloom of youth. The last time you carry her to dreamland, sleepy-eyed, she hugs your neck, or the last time you put a Band-Aid on her scraped knee, dry her tears with your sleeve. You never know or remember the last time you held her hand in a crowded scene, because to lose her would be to lose everything. All that is good and sweet and true. Each season that passes, every desert wind that kicks up dust, every passing ice cream swirling sunrise and sunset, these little acts slip away without saying goodbye. Then one spring morning, you spy an albino jackrabbit bunny hunched in the protection of a prickly pear cactus. She lifts her son, shows him this miracle. And she pleads to him in his di dinosaur pajamas to please, please, please do not grow up. 
You're glad these little goodbyes passed unheard, unnoticed, knowing would break your heart a thousand times. You know, there's a fondness for the preservation of youth that I feel in that poem and wanting to protect young people from sort of the terrors of reality that happen in the world. Yeah. Am I close on that? Is that kind of, Uh, was that your theme? You're you're dead on. Uh, That poem was uh, something I was writing before I got the idea of Ukraine anthology and it just fit naturally. And I put that poem, you know, 1000 goodbyes in the peace section. And then I wrote another one called, 1,000 goodbyes, wartime, you could imagine what those 1,000 goodbyes would be. So they were kind of uh, bookends. It's such a wonderfully visual piece as well. And of course, recognizing things in there like prickly pear cactus, which are integral to our own landscape here in the state of Arizona, but just having still sort of an overarching universal theme, I think is, is just wonderful. Well, Rod, thank I you. want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about this new anthology. And again, uh, proceeds of which partially will be donated to benefit Ukrainians. Thank you so much, Rod, for coming to Word. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for the invite. Ukraine, The Night and the Fire is the anthology of poetry compiled by Rod Drought and Margaret Goodkoff. Thanks to everyone who made the recent KJZZ new member drive a success. If you didn't have a chance to make a gift of support for public radio and original programming earlier this month, that's okay. You can still do so by going to our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and we'll be back with our final episode of the season in early June. Thanks so much for listening and supporting a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.